You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. All your needs were taken care of. If you came back with any money, take that money and go buy a sword. He was letting them know there's a battle coming. And uh, they said, hey, we've got two swords. <laughs> and Jesus understood that he'd give them that instruction, but then he realized that this battle is the Lord's. And so he just said, well, that's good enough. Two's all we need. That's good enough. So <clears throat> we're going to pick up in that narrative here. Uh, that Jesus is having, and we're going to start with a with a conversation that uh, Jesus is having with Peter. So, if you will put your finger on verse thirty one, Luke twenty two, verse thirty one, and I'm reading out of the King James today, so that's got all the the old English hard words in it. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. So the Lord is telling him, anytime you see him use something twice, he's trying to get your attention. Really pay attention. This is what he's saying. Really, really now, Peter, pay attention. Because Satan, your enemy, has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to grind you. When you sift wheat, you, you grind it up. You, you knock away uh, anything in it until it just becomes a ground powder. And he's saying, he's saying to him, he says, Satan wants to grind you to powder. So pay attention to my words because what I'm telling you is going to help you. Verse 32, but, but I have prayed for you, for thee, that thy or your faith fails not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Uh, one of the beauties here is he's letting Peter know that you don't go through a trial without Jesus knowing it. You don't go through a difficulty without Jesus having his eye on you. You don't go through a difficult time, a difficult season that God doesn't already know. He's not already foresaw what you're going to go through, but he's also prayed for you to have strength to go through it. And we draw our strength from him. And so he's telling him, Simon, pay attention. The enemy is coming to trip you up. But I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Because oftentimes when people are pressed and life comes in on them and difficulty comes in on them, it's easy to just give up. Throw up your hands and say, I'm done. I'm tired. I can't do this, Lord. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. And so he's telling him, you're going to enter into a season like this, Peter, and you're going to really be tested. But understand that I've prayed for you, and what I've prayed is that your faith won't fail. Now, I love this part right here. And when thou art converted, in other words, when you come back to yourself, when, when this test is over, strengthen thy brethren. When we go through a test, we don't go through a test solely for ourselves. We go through a test that when we come out the other side, 
the intention that God has for allowing us to go through a test is that we'll have the strength to help somebody else who's going to go through a similar test or the same test, and they'll be able to lean on you. You'll be able to share with them, I went through this very same thing. I got through it, and here's how I did it with the Lord by my side. Verse 33, and he said unto them, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny me. Three times you will deny that, that you know me. I'm putting it in just modern English words. And he said to them, when I sent you out, this is where he gives them instructions to go and buy a sword. Uh, so let's move on down. And they told him, we have the swords, verse 38. And the Lord said, uh, here are two, they said, here are two swords. And the Lord said unto them, it's enough. Verse 39, and he came out and he went as he went to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said to them, pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them for about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if it be, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There appeared, unto, appeared an angel unto him from heaven to strengthen him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose up from the prayer and was come to the disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow and said unto them, Why sleep ye? In other words, why are you asleep? Rise, pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and, the, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with a sword? And one of them, we know it was Peter, smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye this far? And he touched his ear, and he healed him. I'm going to stop right there. Um, I love the story because it's about, it's about our walk with Jesus and the struggle of human frailty and the mercy and the patience of Jesus with us in our human frailty and how often we try to jump out, do things uh, out of the timing, out of the will, in our own strength, only to find out that it produces uh, a difficulty, a headache, a heartache for us. So <clears throat> having said all that, I was uh, I shared with the first service, and I'll share here, I was seeking the Lord about a message for today, and I heard in my spirit the power of surrender. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a good thought. I've never thought that before. And... Uh, so I started thinking of things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, without God, I can't do nothing. And so I just started thinking of all these things about surrender and surrendering my own life.
So I went ahead and did a word study on the word surrender, found out that you don't find it in the King James very much. Uh, it's, it's alluded to in a handful of places in the Old Testament, but we see uh, the application of surrender all through the New Testament, but it's the word itself doesn't appear in the New Testament. And I thought, well, isn't that funny? The Lord would have me to look that up. And then he brought me to this story, and I went, well, goodness, this is the most perfect story for surrender right here. And so as I was reading that and reading this verse, I went, well, then I know why you said this, Lord. So the word surrender means to cease resistance. And how often do we resist God when he wants something from us? And how often have we resisted the word when we know we shouldn't? And how often have we, have we resisted the voice of the Holy Spirit when we know we should obey? But it's, sometimes it's not comfortable. Oftentimes when God says something to us, calls us to do something, sends us out, it can be a hardship, it can be a difficulty, it can be a moment that oftentimes we don't want to face. And so I know you all are holy, but I have moments of resistance when I really shouldn't resist what God's telling me to do, really shouldn't resist. The remainder of that definition of the word surrender means to cease resistance, to stop resisting to an enemy or an opponent and to submit to their authority. When I first started thinking about this, <clears throat> I got all this imagery in my mind about wars and battles and kings in the old days and how you know, certain nations would give up their sovereignty to another king if they lost a battle and they surrendered. I saw images of white flags flying in my mind's eye and, and, and how enemies would give up underneath a white flag and all of that. But, I, but as I was weighing it and thinking about it, I, it goes much deeper than that. It, it's, it's more than just uh, saying uncle and giving in. There's more to it. And so as I was thinking about it, uh, you know, first thing, I don't ever want to surrender to the enemy, ever. But the, it also says the word opponent, and an, an opponent doesn't necessarily have to be an enemy. An opponent can be just somebody who's on the opposite side of an issue from you. I didn't say this this morning. An opponent can be somebody who's... Uh, on the just say in the in a tennis match, my opponent is on the other side of the net, and we both have the same goal, but we but we're working against each other, and it won't be till one overpowers the other that we find out who the winner of that match will be, and oftentimes we find ourselves as an opponent to God because we know His word, we know His will, we know His desire but we find ourselves on the opposite side playing against God and find ourselves in such a way that we uh, oftentimes, how do I want to say this? Um, we oftentimes realize that we're spitting in the wind. Now, that don't mean much unless you've ever tried to spit out a car window running 70 mile an hour down the road. Has anyone ever, anyone ever done that? I know this is not a great analogy, but anyone ever done that? <laughs> all down the side of your face. You don't win if you spit into the wind. And so, and it's the same with the Lord. We don't win if we make God our opponent and we resist his will. So I want to back up if I can for just a moment and let's take a look at this. Verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Pay attention. 
Behold, Satan. Now, he's, he's letting him know there's an assignment against you. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, why did the enemy come to Peter at this stage of the game? Why didn't he come when Jesus first called him? Why did he come now? Because, because this is a crucial moment. Peter is about to become the leader of the church. Jesus knows he's getting into the final battle of his time on earth. He's getting into the final battle of his mission, and Peter is going to be left with the responsibility to help the others along in the, uh, how do I want to say this, in the infancy of the church. And so he's saying, pay attention, Peter. Behold, Satan has desired to have you. He doesn't want to just, he doesn't want to just deter you. He wants to own you. He wants to capture you. And if he captures you, it's to sift you. It's to grind you into powder, to make you worthless in the assignment that Jesus has on your life. And so he's telling him this. But here's the part I like the best. But I've prayed for you. You never go through anything that the Lord isn't already praying for you. He already knows the outcome, knows what you're going to do, knows what you're going to say, and he's praying that you don't fail in the middle of the assignment that's been handed to you, that your mission won't fall to the ground, but you'll get to the end of the mission, and when you get there, you're going to get there in victory because he's praying for you, he's upholding you, he's pulling for you, he's standing on the sidelines, he's praying to the Father, yep, Simon's going to make some mistakes. Simon's going to mess this up. But know this, Father, know this, he's going to return. He's not going to totally lose it. He's not going to totally walk away. He's going to have a moment, but he shall return. And so here he is in this situation, and I love this in verse 32. I have prayed for thee that thy faith not fail, and when you are converted, when you come back, when you come back to yourself, here's what I love. Strengthen your brothers. I don't go through things in this life just to go through things. Yes, I go through trials so the Lord knows what's in my heart. But the reason I go through the trials isn't because he doubts. It's because I doubt. And so he'll allow me to go through things. He'll, he'll allow me to go into certain seasons. He'll allow the enemy like this to come and to sift my life or try to sift my life to prove to me that I have what it takes to get through the trial. I have what it takes to get to the other end. And here's the beauty. Even in Peter's situation, uh, even though Peter blew it for a season, Jesus also knew he's going to return. And when you return, he didn't condemn him. He didn't say, you rotten, filthy dog, you're going you're gonna to go off and you're going to deny me and you're going to do all this horrible stuff. You rotten, filthy dog. You're no good. No, he said, when you are converted, matter of fact, no condemnation. When you get this right, help your brothers because they're going to be going through this too. They're going to be going through struggle and heartache and hardship. And there's going to be many things in life. And when you go through them, help your brothers. It's not all about you. And that's what I love about the gospel. It's not all about me. It's about 
me growing, me learning, me gleaning, me reaching, me helping someone else. You can say amen to that. So here's what I like about this. The Lord said, Simon, the devil wants you. He's going to try to sift you, but I've prayed for you. <laughs> and, and, G, and Peter says this in verse 33. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready. I got this. I'm ready to go with you both into prison and to death. And then Jesus has to let the air out of his bubble just a little bit. He says, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow or the rooster will not crow this day before thou shalt thrice, three times, deny me. Now, Peter's just made this declaration. I got this. Oh, you can warn me all you want, Jesus, but I can do this. I can get through this. Ah, the devil. He's just the devil, right? Well, we all think that until we're in the middle of a trial and a test and a tribulation, and suddenly all of our world's imploding on us, and the devil doesn't just come at you with a pitchfork and a pointed tail and red pajamas. He comes at you with circumstance and difficulty and hardship and, and, and people and things going backwards in your life and no, not enough money. I mean, he uses a myriad of things to try to magnify your problems so that it looks to you as if there's no way out. And then he tries to reach in and get you to doubt God. And if he can get you to doubt God, pretty soon you will accuse God. And if he can get you to accuse God, pretty soon he can get you to walk away from God. And that's the plan that he has. And Peter, in his naivety, he goes, I got this. I know I joked about this in the first service. It's like every man, every man that has to put something together never looks at the instructions. We got this. We got it figured out. And then after we've got it together backwards and there's extra screws, we're like, oops. <laughs> I should have read the instructions. But in our mind, all the instructions are in a foreign language, and there's no need to even look at that because we got it. And I confessed in the first service, I believe that if the pictures are there, I can do it. So anyway, Peter is thinking, you know, self-sufficiently, I got this, watch this. Look how, I, look how I operate. I can pull this off. I can get it done. But I'm wondering, how's that working for you, Peter? How did that work for you? Number one, you couldn't stay awake during prayer. <laughs> the master needed you, but you couldn't even stay awake one hour to pray with him. Your war skills ended with a wounded ear. You stepped in to take off this, the high priest's head. You got to the servant, which is a, 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 a man in a much lower form, and you couldn't even get his head. All you got was an ear. Thunk. In our own strength, we just don't have a whole lot of power. And then Jesus had to pick up the ear and heal the man and work miracles in the, in the, in the uh, stead of what he had already pulled off. And then he denied the one that he'd pledged his loyalty to. You know the story. He thinks he's got it. He thinks he's got it in his own strength. But now Jesus has been betrayed. He's been kissed. The temple guard, not the Roman guard, but the temple guard have come to arrest him. And Jesus 
has made the declaration that you would betray me with a kiss, one of my own. Jesus has already been praying. He's been praying fervently. He's prayed until the one-cell capillaries in your body have been so surging through the aorta of his body. The pressure, the stress, the tension of that prayer caused the blood flow in his arteries to go into his veins and to hit those one-cell capillaries towards the surface of your skin. And they were pulsing with such power that it caused him not only to sweat but to bleed. That's praying. And so while he's praying such a fervent prayer, his disciples are slipping away. They're leaving him because they see two swords isn't enough and this battle is not going to end well for us. And Jesus had already told Peter, it's not the plan. Put it away. By the way, you only got his ear anyway. What good's that going to do us? And so they're slipping away. And as they're slipping away, Peter's among them, slipping away, getting away from the master, beginning to disassociate from the one whom he loves so most. Just a few moments ago, an hour ago, two hours ago, I told you, I'll go with you. If it's to prison, I'm all in. If it's to death, I'll fight valiantly. But now it's overwhelmingly too hard for me, and I'm going to back away and leave you be all alone. And he abandoned his Messiah. And you know the story. While Jesus, under the temple guard, is being beaten and hit with fists, and his beard is being torn from his face. This is just the temple guard. The Romans haven't even got to him yet. They're spitting in his face. Peter, out of morbid curiosity, wants to know what's going on. So he's huddling up next to people outside of, of the, the temple where they carry this out. One place he's warming up by a fire. Another place he's just kind of leaning into the crowd to try to figure out what's happening on the inside. He's recognized, you know the story, First time he's recognized, they say, aren't you that guy, that Galilean? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You got the wrong guy. And then second time it happens, he's a little more stern about it. No, lady, you're you're crazy. You don't know. You don't know. No, you're mistaking me with somebody else. And then the third time, he cursed like a sailor that he was. And began to use all kinds of colorful language and said, I don't think so. You got the wrong man. Just in time to hear a rooster crowing as the sun is just beginning to rise. He hears a rooster crowing. and That had to be the most mortifying sound that Peter ever heard in his life. 
to know that everything Jesus just said to me came true. And I stood there in my own strength telling him, no, I can go the distance. I'll go the distance with you, Jesus, only to find out he couldn't go the distance. His self-preservation got in the way. He was trying to save himself, trying to get out of the situation while he let his dearest friend, the person he was, had given up everything for, face this hour alone. And in that moment, I'm sure when he heard the cock crow, he realized, I have nothing. I am nothing. I couldn't even be loyal when he needed me the most. And I surrendered to my enemy. And in this battle, Satan won. And now I got to live with me my conscience. I've got to live with me and what I've done. I've got to live with how I've blown it and how I've hurt him. How could I ever possibly help someone else when I'm in the shape that I'm in? I don't know if you've ever felt that. If you've ever been in that place, In those moments when I'm keenly aware of the strength in my own flesh, oftentimes I thought, Lord, why me? Why did you ever choose me? Why did you ever raise me up and put me in a position to help others and to preach to others and to teach others? Why me, Lord? Have you all ever had that? And in that moment, Peter was sifted. It happened. It happened. And he went off for a few days, sulking, torn up, messed up, wondering, how, 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 how did I get here? And how will this end? Jesus, on the other hand, was left alone to pray. Most urgent hour of his life, but he was left to pray alone. No one decided with his party, no one upholding him, no one interceding for him, no one helping him with the stress of the hour that he had to face. He was betrayed by one of his own. I can't imagine the feeling of that kiss, knowing that you've been betrayed, sold as a slave to death. Oh, 
He was abandoned by all of his disciples. They all left. He was punched and mocked by his own religious order. Mocked by his nation's king when he was brought to Herod. Abandoned by his nation when they cried, Give us Barabbas, the murderer, and crucify the prophet. Questioned about his authority by Rome, who saw him as treasonous. Scourged by a national enemy. Crucified for a crime he did not commit. He bore sins that he never committed on the cross under a divergence of darkness and was laid like a pauper in a borrowed tomb. He faced the realm of darkness, death, disease, and all the hellish foes of Satan's cohorts. He came back with the keys to deliver whomsoever will. He arose from this trial with victory. He came up victorious over the death, hell, and the grave. He came up, he went down in death, but came up producing life. He went down in what appeared to be defeat only to come up to prove that his defeat was the plan of God and God's plan was the greatest victory ever known to man. And the first person that Jesus wanted to see after his resurrection was Peter. Where's Peter? Because he wanted to wrap his arms around him and bring him back into the fullness of restoration. Peter, where are you? Do you love me? You all know that story. Do you love me? Three times he said it. Do you love me? Three times Peter denied him. Three is the number of completion. To me, it signifies complete defeat. Have you ever been in a moment in your life of complete defeat? But Jesus, on the other hand, three times said, not my will, but thine. He's praying so feverishly, his body is in torment resisting and hoping to not face this hour. Yet each time he submitted his will in surrender to God's will. Peter surrendered to the enemy. Jesus surrendered to God. And thank God for the power of his surrender. Because Jesus surrendered 
it makes my surrender that much more sweet. Because sometimes, like Peter, I surrender the wrong direction. And I blow it, and I mess it up. But then every time I come through a trial, a tribulation, a slip, a mistake, God notches in my victory belt another victory that I've come through because his surrender was complete. And in him, I can do all things. I'm almost finished. In him, even though sometimes my victories don't look like much of a victory to anyone here on earth. He trusts me to help someone else. He trusts me to strengthen someone else. And if Jesus had to live his life in the power, thank you, of surrender. How much more for you and I? I want to live my life like the Apostle Paul, who every day he rose up and said, you know, I must kill off this earthly desire my want, my desire, my thought. And I want to submit, I want to surrender to his will, his thought, his desire for my life. I've lived my whole life to the best of my ability in my Christian walk that way. But I want to say to my young ladies here, there ain't no, I know, I'm picking you out. There ain't no perfect person. If you make a mistake, don't lay down. Don't quit. Just run back to Jesus. Just run back. I'm not saying you've done anything. I just think back to my own life. There were times that I felt like Peter and I wanted to stay away. I've betrayed him too much. I've hurt him too much. And so I would go on with a worldly lifestyle for a while until one day I would come to myself and realize this don't work. Anything short of Jesus doesn't work. And when I came to that realization, every day I wake up with a new heart of surrender. Some days are better than others. Some victories greater than others. Some days I'm a miserable failure, but I live in his victory. And the power of his surrender has made it all worthwhile for me. Father, I magnify you. I thank you for this beautiful crowd who've been so attentive, and some of them have already heard this, Father. And yet they stayed here and support. 
For those that are just hearing it, Father, I pray that it will indel in their heart, in their mind, in their spirit, and help them, Father, in whatever they might be facing right now, to know that God understands that sometimes when the enemy's trying us, we don't always win the way we should. And yet, he doesn't condemn. He doesn't put us away. He doesn't shun us. He restores us so we can help someone else. God, I pray that the power of your surrender would be the power that we live our lives by every moment of every day for the remainder of our lives. And I give you honor. I give you glory. I give you praise, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.